Hello, I'm Summerland Mayor Doug Holmes. Welcome to the sixth episode of the Mayor's Podcast. At the beginning of July, the District of Summerland started an 18-month trial for a compressed four-day work week for most Municipal Hall staff. That means counter services at Municipal Hall are now closed to the public on Mondays, but from Tuesday to Friday, they open earlier at 8.15 in the morning, and they stay open later until 5 p.m. We're trying this out in order to both improve customer service and to help with staff retention. The connection between customer service and staff retention is the topic of this month's podcast. Joining me in the discussion is Graham Statt, the Chief Administrative Officer for the District of Summerland. Graham, welcome. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. For some people, customer service in the public sector may sound like an oxymoron. The perception of government is often long lines, endless telephone loops, multiple forms, all requesting the same information, slow processing times, and so on. There's a reason why democratic government is so complex. All the rules and regulations, procedures and processes, checks and balances, they're built into government systems to ensure fair and equal treatment of citizens. The municipal employee you're dealing with must conform to council policy and they often don't have the discretionary power that, say, a business owner would have. They can't say, for you, Mrs. Jones, because you're a friend, I will make an exception. Nor can they choose not to serve Mrs. Jones because she's a difficult customer or because she doesn't have enough money to pay for her product. If you remove the policies and restrictions to give municipal employees the ability to tailor services to to meet individual needs, you lose the checks and balances. You can then end up with favoritism, patronage, and nepotism, all of which undermine democracy. Unfortunately, the trade-off to ensuring equal and fair treatment is a lack of flexibility. It's within this landscape that municipalities must find efficiencies and adapt best practices for meeting people's expectations for good service. It's a big challenge, but we need to do it. Yeah, I'd even add to this backdrop that for many of our services, we're the only game in town, literally. If you want a building permit, it's us. Or if you want to use a public pool or a curling rink at Summerland, it's us. If you want electricity or sewer or drinking water, it's us. We provide services that the private sector can't because they're regulatory or those services the private sector won't because they're not profitable. Unlike the private sector, there's no direct competition for many services that we offer. If you go to a restaurant and you don't like the service, of course, you can always go to a different one the next time. For this reason, I think it's extremely important for us to put a high emphasis on customer experience, to keep ourselves accountable, and to focus on service delivery. So we have corporate values that we all abide by, uh, transparency, respect, honesty, stewardship and creativity those values are on our walls and our business cards and our email signatures and as a team we talk about them all the time and they form the basis of our code of ethics for staff that each and every staff person must abide by our performance plans are even tied to these values our orientation and training include these values and we conduct staff recognition and correction based on these values We've also put a focus on customer service training for our staff by dedicating a whole meeting of all staff just on that subject. 
We've also rolled out specialized training for communicating effectively with customers. We do surveys of our customers, track feedback so we can make changes to our processes and programs based on that feedback. And from that feedback, we know many people find it difficult to come into Municipal Hall during working hours. They want to be able to come in either before work or after work. That's why many organizations in both the public sector and the private sector are looking for ways to open their doors earlier and or close them later without creating new staff positions and incurring additional costs. One way to do that is by adopting a compressed work week, which means the number of hours worked over five days is compressed into four days, allowing for extended opening hours during the shorter week. The City of Merritt uh, began trialing a four-day work week last November, primarily as a measure to re retain and uh, recruit municipal workers. I recently spoke with Michael Getz, the Mayor of Merritt, and I asked him how the trial was going. He told me many people were skeptical at first, but the extended hours is now providing to be very popular. We know people in Summerland also want extended hours, and that was one of the primary motivations for Council to agree to trial our own compressed work week. Yeah, so we started uh, by talking to our customers at the counter and doing some short surveys on what their preferred hours would be. And of course, on uh, what days of the week. When we did that, the majority of people we talked to said the service hours before 8.30 and after 4 p.m. would be helpful to them personally or someone that they know like a family member. And I guess the easy response to that feedback could be something like, many of our services can be conducted online 24 hours a day or something like that. But many uh, understanding this need of our customers, we decided instead to collaborate with the union and to see if there was a way that we could make it work. There would be no cost to the district, but rolling out this service. So we came up with a concept to this compressed work week. Now, I, I will just say we use a term compressed work week rather than a four day work week, because in some other places they've actually eliminated a day of the work week and, and they've kept the compensation the same. But here, what we're doing is working the same overall number of hours, but we're just compressing those into four days instead of five days for some of our staff at Municipal Hall. And then that, uh, you know, ultimately eliminating the Monday workday made sense because many statutory holidays fall on a Monday. Right. If you take this year, 2023, there are nine statutory holidays that fall on a Monday, which I think is probably typical for most years. So Municipal Hall would be closed those nine days anyway. Taking the statutory holidays into account, over the course of the full year, Municipal Hall will be open the exact same number of hours. If we made it any other day of the week, it'd mean we'd only be open three days during those weeks where there's a statutory holiday, which wouldn't be ideal. We also know many people already don't come downtown on Mondays because there's a lot of other places that are closed the library, thrift store, the bakery, and several other businesses. Fridays, on the other hand, that's a day when many people get paid and they want to be able to come in to pay their bills. We wanted to make it convenient and provide as much consistency in the opening hours as possible. That's why we settled on Monday as the day Municipal Hall should be closed. Yeah, and uh, I guess I should also just clarify at this point, this is a trial and not all staff are participating. In fact, 
not all staff at Municipal Hall are even participating. We have building inspections still running five days a week to support developers and homeowners doing rentals. And we also have bylaw running seven days a week right now. Corporate services staff are also working on Mondays and taking appointments on those days for anyone who uh, needs to have a sit down meeting. And the mayor will still be working a 24 seven work week. Yeah, of course, exactly. And and I'll just say at the, as a head of staff here, I'm, I'm really concerned about our ability to attract and retain staff. And just to give you a snapshot of what we're dealing with here, we did nearly 50 recruitments in 2022. And we only have about 110 positions. So, you know, some of those recruitments, obviously, for things like temporary positions and a few summer students, too. But I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that even if you take those positions out of the mix, there's been a huge amount of turnover in our organization with all the opportunity that's out there. And when a position comes up, it can sometimes take many months, uh, maybe two or three different postings in a row before we get an applicant that has the right qualifications to replace those that have left. And we can't provide good customer service if we can't keep the people we have or in some cases, you know, can't track the right people to fill the roles we require to provide service. So a compressed work week can be a very attractive lifestyle opportunity for many who prefer to work the longer hours in exchange for one day less in the office. People, I think people sometimes think staff are, are a problem when it comes to providing good service, but the real culprit is a shortage of staff. The impact of the worldwide labor shortage is being felt in almost every industry and the public sector is not immune. It's a bit of a vicious circle because when there are staff shortages, the employees who remain become overworked and, and they become stressed that they're not able to provide the quality of service they've spent years curating. Aggressive hiring and dropping new employees into high pressure environments with little to no experience or training doesn't really solve the problem. So we need to focus on retaining ex existing staff and not be seen as a training ground for Penticton or Kelowna or other larger municipalities that pay more than we can. We need to innovate and offer benefits like a compressed four day work week. Yeah, I totally agree. And, you know, once in a while, I get feedback from a resident or a developer that they had to talk to maybe two or three different people in our staff before they got the answer they needed for a complex problem they had. And I just think this is a telltale sign. The organization's experiencing a high level of turnover, less staff with the corporate memory of the issue and sometimes more time than you have to take to file to get uh, an answer that they're looking for. And as you can imagine, it's embarrassing and frustrating to the new staff person helping the customer too. You know, turnover is a real problem for many organizations and it's competitive out there. And we know we're not on the top tier of compensation, even in the municipal world as we do comparisons all the time to make sure we're at least in the middle of the road on compensation and benefits. But we do provide fair pay and we also work hard to have a positive staff morale in the work environment. We also have a social committee that plans, you know, little events that we can do together. And we have formal training, education opportunities, accreditations that we invest in. People where people are willing to uh, return that investment by staying in the organization. We've made changes to scope our roles properly so people can enjoy their work and managers have the uh, proper decision making. And 
the recent focus that we've uh, had as of late is actually to try and hire local. You know, this probably sounds like common sense, but, um, you know, when it comes down to one or two uh, otherwise equal candidates for the same job, we really try to hire that local person. If someone applies for the job and it might be a bit of a stretch assignment for them based on their experience, if they're local, we're prepared to take some extra time and do that training with them. Helps avoid that flight risk we're otherwise faced with. Candidates can come here from afar. Perhaps they come in with all the best intentions of making this their forever home, but then maybe they can't find that place to you know, rent or buy. Can't sell the place they had elsewhere, or maybe they end up with family obligations where they came from that requires them to ultimately depart the organization. So wherever we can, we do try to hire local um, because it gets someone in the role who knows our community, understands the issues and people, and who has that staying power based on their longtime uh, presence here. Another way we can take pressure off employees and at the same time improve service delivery is by streamlining and automating our processes. It wasn't that long ago you couldn't go online to pay your, your utility bill, or you couldn't go online to book a recreation program like swimming lessons or take advantage of spatial mapping using our geographic information system. More than 20 years ago, when I was working in the IT industry, I wrote a book about how it was better for people to go online than, than stand in line. Uh, for most organizations, that's still a work in progress. Shifting service delivery onto the internet isn't as simple as it sounds. First of all, automating a bad process doesn't all of a sudden make it a good process. We need to re redesign many of our procedures. We need to simplify them, especially at the point where the customer meets the system. Yeah, the phone still is the first point of contact to the district for many people. And some of our customers going online, it means going on the phone line. And the recent change that we're trying to uh, implement right now is to answer the phone in person rather than to allow it to go to this phone tree that we had previously installed. You know, it has the rules push button directories with various options, uh, various places you can go based on pressing buttons on your phone. But the issue there were folks were really getting upset with being bounced around kind of like a pinball when they didn't know exactly what service they needed, such as uh, just having a general inquiry. So we've now made it a priority with a receptionist to pick up the phone wherever possible. And if they can't, then it goes to voicemail and people get a call back. Obviously, there's going to be times like lunch breaks when uh, people still use the phone tree system so they don't have to wait if they do know what they're looking for. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is, you know, once again, uh, try to think about that customer experience, try to model our service that way. And a lot of times it's just things like these low cost, no cost improvements that we can make to help our service or timelines. Yeah, everybody hates that uh, press one for English, two for French uh, thing. So I'm glad we're kind of moving away from that. Uh, one service area we're also, uh, the district's also focusing on is development services like the issuing of building permits. Earlier this year, council removed the requirement to have separate electrical meters for secondary suites and carriage homes. And uh, if a developer or homeowner wants to simply connect it to the same meter as the main dwelling. We also delegated the authority to approve minor development variance applications, but without them having to come to council for a decision. 
this has dramatically reduced processing times for many applications. Yeah, I'm really glad you, you've raised this, you know, and it, just to give you a kind of an example of a previous, what we call simple variants that have to go to council, um, you know, where we had to generate a report by staff and have council deliberation and decision that was the approval of the uh, replacement of that drive-through signage at Tim Hortons here in Summerland at its current location. And, uh, you know, so you have an existing sign, we're just changing that sign. And of course it takes two months to process because we have to get it into the queue and do this report and make time for council schedule. Now this type of variance can be reviewed by staff internally. And if there's no concerns, it can be issued in a one or a two week period for that customer. So along with the uh, delegation of variance permits, council also adopted fee changes to reduce the application fee for simple minor variances. The thinking being, you know, less administration and effort on our time should translate into less money on the part of the customer to pay for that service. So the reduced application fee ranges from 250 to 500, depending on the scale of that variant, but that's down from the previous $750 variance application fee. So put money back in people's pockets there. And these changes follow the recommendation of the province's development approvals process review that uh, recommended we reduce development approval timelines to help address the provincial housing crisis. So although it's a, a very recent change already, I can say, uh, you know, we've had 17 variances that have been processed and 10 of those were minor and done very quickly without a bunch of process and paperwork. So, you know, this kind of change improves customer service, but also empowers staff to do the jobs they're hired to do. Empowered staff tend to stay with the organization longer and are more engaged. Previously, every one of those minor variances required staff to write a report and for us to take up council's already busy meeting time to process something that was ultimately extremely routine and uh, innocuous. Municipal approvals process certainly does have an impact on new housing development. By streamlining those processes and, and, and being more efficient, not only can we provide better service, but we can also help speed up the construction of new homes, which is something Summerland sorely needs. That's why Council continues to look for ways to improve development processes and services to builders, developers and homeowners. In 2020, we established a development process improvement committee that they advise council on ways to improve and update bylaws and procedures as they relate to planning, development and construction and those sort of things. Um, the committee is comprised of nine members of the community, including developers, builders, architects and bankers. One of the main initiatives emerging from the committee is the implementation of a new software platform to allow for the submission and tracking of development applications over the internet. It's scheduled to go live next spring, and so then builders will be able to go online rather than stand in line. Yeah, that's right. In fact, uh, we were successful in even getting a big grant from the province to make these changes. And the province was extremely impressed with our application. In fact, I think we were the highest uh, you know amount of award for any of the applicants that went in on that program so right now we have this paper world with paper blueprints and designs and hard copy applications different pieces of process in different areas it's linear 
paper-based, it's antiquated. And what uh, this new system will do is allow us to have folks apply for their permits online and allow one virtual file to exist on the server that's touched and updated by each program area remotely. And so we are exploring also uh, the option of having plans digitized as well, which allows our inspectors to go into the field with an iPad rather than have a big roll of paper where, uh, you know, then instead of making changes there on the site and bringing them back and doing data entry, we can have changes made and notes made right on the file remotely on something like that iPad device. So pictures uh, could even be added into that file and, and ultimately people could get the status of their application simply by logging into that interface rather than coming downtown or making a phone call or an appointment to have somebody uh, call them back. So basically we're going from sort of Flintstones to Jetsons in one fell swoop. I think we should probably be clear that technology will never replace human workers. We hear a lot about uh, that these days with artificial intelligence, but people have been saying the same thing since the Industrial Revolution. Technology and humans don't have the same qualities and abilities. And in, re in respect to providing good customer service, we need human employees to bring a personal touch. Only people can understand other people's anxieties and concerns and assist them in a way that technology just can't. So uh, technology can augment work by automating redundant tasks and increasing productivity and improving efficiency, but the flow of inf information still has to go through staff. Um, so employees need to be able to understand the systems and explain to people why they have to do this or they can't do that. Um, automation shouldn't be a burden on people. We need municipal employees to guide citizens through a process, whether it's streamlined or not. This is especially important when council changes a policy or introduces a new program. The reality is we can't completely uh, rely on either technology or the workforce. We need both. You're right. And public service is about people. It's about people serving people. We're in the people business. And knowing that, we'll keep our foot on the gas in terms of finding ways to attract, recruit, and retain the best and brightest to serve our residents. There's a saying that if you can't, uh, if you if you take care of your employees, they'll take care of your customers, and that's really what it's all about. I think to provide good services, we need good staff. Thank you, Graham, for joining me today to talk about the connection between staff retention and customer service. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great to have a chance to talk about this stuff. Yeah, it's been good. Uh, that was Graham Staff. Chief Administrative Officer for the District of Summerland. I am Doug Combs, uh, Summerland Mayor, and you've been listening to the Mayor's Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.